word why. What a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. The key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. Let's have a little fun today. Um, let's dive into fearlessness and let's talk about not just entrepreneurship, but female entrepreneurship, uh, really sort of a power player in so many ways. I'm sure you're going to walk away saying that's an understatement, Rod. Uh, we're going to be speaking with Mickey Agrawal. She is, for those that know, she was on the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine a number of years ago. She built $200 million companies, um, you know, tushy, thanks, and wild. She's also the author of the number one best-selling books, Do Cool Shit and Disrupt Her. She was named Fast Company's Most Creative People, Young Global Leader by the Economic Forum, and Inc.'s Most Impressive Women Entrepreneurs. She's now also taking a bold step into the music industry with her debut album, It All Exists, under Soul Gaze with veteran musician Happy Hoffman. Uh, there's so much to talk about. You you know, sometimes when I get pitched, Mickey, it's, you know, the, the bio is sort of the meat of it and you kind of have to pull things out of it. Well, I didn't have to do that with you. There's so much here. This is a rich ecosystem of uh, of experience and I would say also uh, transparency. What I appreciated in reading about you and, and watching your Mind Valley talk and, and these other elements is that you're, it doesn't, I don't get the sense that you're hiding anything. Right. I mean, it's sort of Mickey is Mickey. And if you've experienced or read your book or watched you speak or been a part of any of your companies, you're just you. Has that been from day one? Was that part of the strategy or was this you even as a little girl? <laughs> well, so nice to connect with you. Um, and that Nashville, you're in Nashville. I'm in Austin. So just it's so I mean, I always get so in, in awe. Like whenever I take, you know, get on a plane or I'm talking to someone in real time on Zoom. It's just, it's like mind blowing with humans. <laughs> humans do. Um, yeah, I think for me, it's been a, a funny, just random journey of like my mom coming from Japan, um, you know, barely speaking any English and, and, you know, coming with the Japanese sensibility. My father coming to America from India. Um, with a lot of the in all of the Indian sensibilities and me growing up in Montreal, Canada, they met in in Canada and we, I grew up in Montreal, Canada, in French Canada and um, went to, you know, school in the United States. So I basically had a very textured kind of cultural experience. And I think one of the things I feel extremely privileged about is to been able to have been able to debate at the table, you know, there's no, there's never been a set of perspectives that it's the way it is. This is the way America does it. And my, both my parents are American. Therefore, this is just the way it is. Or both my parents are Japanese. This is the way it is. Both my parents are Indian. This is the way it is. Like we, people oftentimes come from pretty homogenized perspective on things. But I think because I've grown up with a Japanese mother, an Indian father in French Canada in America, I was able to really question and given permission to question everything and just say, why is it done this way? Why is it that way? Why, like who says, who decided that this is the way it is? And I think from the lens of debate and having agency and curiosity to kind of challenge 
the status quo of whatever the thing is, um, I think we get to be authentically ourselves more and more. And so like, was that, there a, that was was a, a moment, Mickey, when you were growing up, when you kind of thought to yourself, there's no way a traditional path is going to be your path. I mean, I think it's fascinating. I won't, I won't talk about what, are, what you know, your age or my age in this way, but I'll, here's what I'll say. When I was growing up, people didn't even talk about what an entrepreneur was. I don't even know if the word sort of was in popular vernacular. It was maybe a parent of a student in your class had like a shingle because they were a doctor or maybe whatever it was, but this was not like it is now where my kids are thinking about all the different businesses that they will own, not because they failed, but because they've had exits. They, You know what I mean? Like this is how kids talk now. And I'm wondering if there was a moment where you said, Cal, this world that I'm in, like, it's going to be different. I've got, I can't sort of subscribe to the norms or what everyone else is doing. Like I grew up in Detroit, all the other guys were going to work for suppliers of the big three, like their dads, like there was a rhythm to it. And you kind of didn't, you didn't diverge from that. Uh, Did you have a moment where you said, I know that this is different. It's probably stacked against me. I mean, we'll talk about being a female entrepreneur and the lack of investing and all of that. But tell me about a moment when you said, man. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I think I got lucky on one of the most unluckiest days in the United States. Um, in my, from my perspective was on nine 11. So I was 22 years old. I just graduated from college. Um, you know, the world ahead of me. And I, I kind of was starting to follow a pretty traditional path of investment banking. I got a job at Deutsche Bank, at Deutsche Bank. And it was sort of like, I guess this is like, this is what people did. They graduated from like a Cornell University and they worked in finance or consulting or as a go, became a lawyer or doctor. Like you said, there wasn't an entrepreneurial world when I was 22 still, just, you know, 20 years ago. And so they're just, you know, over 20 years ago. And so there's just sort of like, wow, there's, um, only a few opportunities, but let me go into one that, you know, why not? And so I went to investment banking and it wasn't the like, hell yeah, like I want to do this with my life. It was just sort of like, this is what it feels like you do. You go into consulting or banking or whatever. But then 9-11 happened and my subway stop every single morning was to World Trade Center. And I was supposed to be there on that day. And usually what I do is I, I go to you know, two World Trade Center, I get off the subway, um, get tea with my girlfriend who worked on the hundredth floor at two World Trade Center. And then I would walk across the street to my office. And um, 9-11 happened and it was the first and only day that I slept through my alarm clock. Um, my girlfriend's, you know, 700 people in my girlfriend's office died on that day. And two people in my office died. And it was one of those like, humongous wake up call moments. It was the biggest wake up call moments of my life where I was like, wow, like I needed to be there. And like the saying that came through to me, which I still utter constantly to myself and to others is, you know, the mystery of life is that you never know when it's going to end. Right. And the time was in that moment, very moment to make every moment count. And I sort of wrote down three things I want to do with my life. Um, and I was like 22, like in a world of my oyster, what do I want to do? And so I wrote down three things. The first was to play soccer professionally. <laughs> the second was to make movies. And then the third was to start a business. Um, and so I kind of did all those things. And the, the journey kind of follows to, you know, finding out the New York Magic soccer team was holding tryouts in Brooklyn for all top D1 athletes. And I was working my 100-hour investment banking job. And I snuck out of my job to go and try out twice a week. And one of the car service guys at the bank would take me there because it was like I expressed my dream to him 
him and he, we snuck away together and, and he took me to this tryouts and I would like come back to my to bank afterwards. You, this driver from like Deutsche Bank would wait for me while I tried out. And then I would go back in the car and go back to Deutsche Bank and work till late night to finish my work. But it was a wild, wild, wild moment. I made the team and I made the starting lineup and I was all set to quit my job in investment banking. But I was like, let me just play my first game with the New York Magic and see what happens. And first game of the season, first eight minutes, the game got the ball, you know, juke the player and headed it um, to a, a crossed it. And then a, a striker hit it in the back of the net. I had my first assist in the first eight minutes. But in that moment of crossing the ball, a defender from the other team came and took out my leg. And I heard that telltale snap and tore my ACL, uh, my first game of life, you know, with the New York Magic. So I had to kind of stay at the bank and get the very best health insurance and the very best physical therapy and do all of that. It took me a year to recover. And I went out and tried out again the following season and tried out again, beat out all these D1 athletes again, and then made the team again, made the starting lineup again, and then tore my other ACL. Oh, my uh, and so it was sort of like the universe being like, this is not your calling. There was no mystery in the end of that. <laughs> yeah. It was like, got it, universe. Okay. Like, help me, like, what, what's next for me? And so the next thing on my list was to make movies. And you know, I started off picking, picking up trash on the sets of commercials and music videos and driving directors around and getting coffee for producers. And then I worked my way up, you know, pretty quickly to producing commercials and music videos um, and uh, line producing. And then... And that's when the idea of my first business hit was when I was like eating shitty craft service at, you know, on the sets of these commercials and music videos and just eating trash. And I would just come home with horrible stomach aches. And I was just like, what am I doing? Like, this is crazy. And I went to research what was going on and discovered the massive processed food industry, the hormones, the pesticides, antibiotics, like the bleach, like all the stuff that was in food today. And that's just making people become intolerant. And so I had to give up my favorite comfort food at the time, which was pizza. And discovered that pizza is a $32 billion industry and Americans eat 100 acres of pizza every day. And there was a huge opportunity to disrupt this category that people deeply love, you know? And so I was like, I'm going to open New York City's first alternative pizza concept with gluten-free flour. Isn't that what it's called? Wild? It was called Slice. So I wrote my book, Do Cool Shit, about the building and creation of Slice and going from step zero to step one, like raising the money, like figuring out how to create a restaurant and like, you know, anything like starting a business from nothing, having no experience. What are the exact steps I took in a really fun story driven way um, is what Google cool shit is about. But it was it used to be called Slice and now it's called Wild. Um, it was rebranded after I think it was 12 years um, to to Wild, but it's been Let, wild now for Nikki, let, yeah, let's for break down your your personality. This may sound morbid, but let's do like an autopsy on your personality, because what I think mm -hmm. is interesting and I don't want to take for granted, like right now I'm thinking about young people in high schools that I'll speak at or moderate events around entrepreneurs and these sorts of things. And I could just imagine the question or the, or the thought they might have sitting in an auditorium, which is I want to do stuff like what Mickey has done, but I don't know if I have the, the personality for that. Like, I'm wondering, I get the sense from you that you are, you are bold in your personality and, and you, you're not afraid, right? I mean, to your point, I mean, when you have a, an experience like what you personally went through with 9-11, um, it's sort of like, all right, I don't know if I've got tomorrow and you just go for it. But there's an assumption in there that everybody can sort of somehow motivate themselves and or be that bold and brash in the way that they do that. Now, obviously you're collaborative or you wouldn't have had all of these sort of successes in these companies. 
Um, but talk a little bit, if we do an autopsy on your personnel, like what, what is that? To, I mean, I don't want to think in a linear fashion. I think that's lazy and cheap. I'm sure it's much more complex than that, but talk with me about how, you, what do you think the magic sauce is when it comes to the way in which you engage with people, the way you present an idea, because two people could present an idea, you say it. And I might say, man, I'm all in, or that's a great idea, but someone else says it and it comes out, it comes out flat. Yeah. I mean, great question. Um, I think it really comes down to true authenticity. And I think that word is being like thrown around left and right, but like to really sit with yourself and just say like, what exactly do I really want to share? Like what is deep in my guts that I want to share versus what do they want me to say? Let me say what they want me to say versus like what is deep in myself that I want to truly share. And I think that comes through. You know, when you see someone who's a people pleaser and sort of like, you know, doesn't push back because they just want to please versus like, hey, well, I have it, you know, I was thinking about it from a different perspective, you know, or like I, you know, and I, and I, I think like, it's just about being true to yourself. You don't have to be like a big personality, but it's just about being truly true to yourself and saying like, hey, that feels good or that doesn't feel good in my body. And both ways, I will state that. So you call BS on yourself? Like, do you have your own sort of internal sensor that says it's like a BS warning, like an alarm that goes off, like eh, this is off brand. This is not authentic. It's more of like a checking in with like, if it creates a contraction or an opening, like if something that I'm, that I'm doing or saying like creates a contraction inside of me or an opening inside of me, that's when I know like, oh, a contraction is oftentimes fear-based or, or, or it's a sense of, Hey, this isn't fear right or something feels wrong and let me state that and say hey like whether it's interpersonally like hey like let me express like when we talked about it sort of this way like it made me feel contraction i had a kind of a challenge you know a moment with with a friend of mine uh, in the last couple of days right i you know we shared a little a little bit about that i'm like i felt the contraction because of a thing that happened and i want to talk about it and and he was like absolutely let's talk about it and so it's about like being true and and stating your truth one way or the other and and being okay with whatever comes through because it's true you know and saying it with as much of a you know as as nice as you possibly can i mean there's sometimes <laughs> i'm sitting across from my my assistant right now and she she and i have a safe word where where sometimes if like something is said in a certain way you know like she'll say like pamplemousse which is like oh it might be too intense or like let's like let's slow it all down, which is really good for me. It's a good, like, it's a good practice to, you know, like check the way in which something comes out because like you said, I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm sort of passionate and the passion can come off sometimes as intensity, which then can, can, you know, affect another person. Right. It's like the whole concept of intention and impact. Like, what is your intention? Like, how do you want to say something? And what is the, what is the impact that it's having on the other person? And sometimes they're totally different. Right. And so like, my intention could be like, I really want to get to know you. And I think you're awesome asking you a bunch of questions. And the way it impacts you is like, she's interrogating me. Like, why is she interrogating me? Versus <laughs> it being like, she's just curious. Like, she's actually, into, right? So there's, it doesn't matter what my intention is if it's impacting you a certain way. And so rather than you being like, oh, you can just say, hey, just so you know, like, for some reason, like the way these questions are coming through are impacting me in a way that's making me feel defensive. So let me, let me actually like, I wonder if there's a way you can ask it again, a little softer so that I, I can receive it and respond in a way that feels really good in my system. 
you know? So I'm like, oh yeah, thank you. Versus like creating a story that now creates a bigger story and mushrooms into an even bigger story. That's just not really true because my intention was originally just, I'm a passionate person. And sometimes just stuff comes out in a really passionate way and it impacts them. Right. My intention is wrong. Right. So I think that also, and oftentimes for leaders who are trying to change culture and break taboos and do things, they have to often like really be passionate about what they're doing. And sometimes they're passionate against society, right? They're going against society or the way things are. That's the disruption. That's the disruption. And oftentimes society status quo wants to maintain its form and then will like fight back against it and say, you're too much or you're this or you're, you know, like saying all these crazy words that aren't true. Right. But like, then they, but, but, but they're trying to maintain its form. Right. So disruptors oftentimes get taken down because society is trying to maintain their form. And, and in order to make a disruption happen, you have to be extremely passionate. So there's that line of like, how can I be passionate and also understand how it's impacting you. Like that's for me, the greater mastery and what my next looks like is like, I can, I can, I can feel myself when I'm, you know, when, when the passion turns into intensity and then I can be like, Oh, you're right. Like, let's, let's reframe that. And let's let, let's let us both come along this journey together instead of it being like, I'm bulldozing you. Headroom is produced by old soul, a one-stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance. Reach out to my guy, Matt, at Old Soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's Old Soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L.com. And now back to our guest. You know, Mickey, I'm glad you brought up impact. I recently, earlier this year, I spent time with Magic Johnson and it was very, this was interesting to me. I asked him a question because everybody celebrates his entrepreneurial successes, right? I mean, it's pretty incredible the things that he has been able to achieve. Yeah. Heard to be Same. Magic Johnson. <laughs> um, but I asked him about the mental health of entrepreneurs and, and we went down that path and it was very surprising to me. He said he'd never been asked that question. And I thought, what does that say about us that we're so focused on sort of that end result or whatever we think success is? And I worry for this next generation and those that follow where this is the norm being an entrepreneur, right? Not nine to five, not sort of working for whatever, you know, our, our vision or our idea is of corporate America or corporations around the world. And I'm wondering how do we take, what's the lesson for the challenges that we experience so that we don't just railroad them and act like everything is perfect and everything ends up with a win or a, or an exit, right? Like you recently publicly, you, you talked about, you've gone through a divorce, right? You lost a company at one point, like you've had these sort of pivotal moments or intersections in your life. And I think it's really valuable to sort of pause on those and say, how do we understand the mental health? around entrepreneurs how do we understand yeah. some of the signs and symptoms where you know that fake it till you make it can only go so far till your body starts to break down and i'll give you an example and i'd love your feedback on this i i've had personal experiences and i've talked with other people where it's a little bit like you know after the first of the new year right people will put maybe on facebook or on a social platform they're going to lose weight and they want pe- they want some accountability so their friends will know I think what's interesting, you could, you could be at the bus stop with your kids and there'll be like a dad who says, you know, Mickey, I'm, I'm starting a business, right? 
Now, every day at the bus stop, that dad is going to feel like he's got to give an update on growth, on success, on metrics, or like, hey, we just hired this person. We just closed our first deal. And it's like this weird cycle where you you can't report on the challenges or the or the like, you know, sliding off the road kind of a thing in your business plan because you feel like you have to only communicate the win. And I think there's there is a danger in that for young people to fall through the cracks where I don't know if we're all built to be entrepreneurs. Maybe we are, but I think we have to do a better job of identifying what it takes and how do we then support young people as they're developing so that they can handle a loss of a business or a marriage that falters because of it, right? Or a relationship that breaks up. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful question. Well, so my coach calls (laughs) um, someone who only sees a glass half full, only sharing the positive, only a a silver lining, a holic. They're just like looking at it, someone who's like, it's just everything's great. Like the bad stuff, like just show it on a rug and we're, we're good, you know, and that that does create an imbalance in the system and eventually it shows up in some way. And so for me, I can admit wholeheartedly that as a young entrepreneur who had to show my best foot forward, it's kind of like when you think about a restaurant, my very first business restaurant, like front of house is like, everything feels like nice, like jazz music playing in the back of the house, shit's flying around. And like, <laughs> you know, like that's like pretty standard for most businesses where you're like, yelling 86 on. <laughs> yeah. 86, like fire in the thing, Wait, you know, like get the bandaid, whatever. Like, you know, there's like so much happening in the back of house, but front of house, it's super chill. And, um, I think there's really, really something to be said about how like relieving it is to be vulnerable in the full truth. And how relieving it is, relieving of pressure and relieving of like fear that when you're like, oh, I just shared the hard stuff and I the the house of cards didn't fall down. Like, you know, it actually like I'm okay. Like I believe that like even like as fucked up as a Bernie Madoff thing was like, I bet you if he wasn't in the era where he was like just sinking himself in a deeper, deeper hole, they could have been like, I fucked up, you know, and like and, and, and stopped it. He just couldn't get out of his psychosis, right? And I think that was like just listening to him. I'm like, ugh, like I, I felt like, like so, like ugh, you know, like for that experience. But I'm thinking, like, I think about all the different types of people who've put themselves in horrible situations because they just couldn't share the bad news and couldn't share the hard stuff. Is like, is just it toxifies your system. It toxifies you, right? So for me, like when I was going through even in my last company, I think when we were on this like massive hockey stick, hockey stick moment where it was like, holy shit, everyone was like, oh my God, it must be so amazing to be like on a, this crazy ride. And it was like holding on for dear life. First time ever experiencing it. My pee breaks were scheduled. Like I didn't have time for myself. I developed an intense hyperthyroid condition with heart palpitations and pooping up to eight times a day, which is why I ended up starting Cushy. And like having like, losing, getting down to 99 pounds and thinking I was dying. Like it was every morning I would, every night going to bed, I would pray to wake up the next morning because my heart was pounding out of my chest. And it was a really, really scary time because I had to constantly be just on and it wasn't, it was just not working. And so I think like subsequently following that crazy experience of things, like the whole experience of it, and then culminating to being pregnant and having the whole kind of storyline at the end happened it was just like another universe i got it moment like i need to like pause have my baby rest recover catch my breath like get my hormones back to normal like 
you know, and just, and then, and then do trauma work and actually like do therapy and somatic therapy and EMDR. And like, I literally like, and the tons of just coaching and like getting, just getting the stuff out of my system that really leveled me. It took me, and then of course, elimination diet, a, a whole, a whole slew of things that I did to get my system back to like homeostasis. But I think what happens to most leaders when they're on a rocket ship, especially, it's just like you're, and then there's no one to really support you or know how to, because we're like little, the top of our own little islands. Incredibly and it's lonely, right? Relate. Yeah, it's lonely. And that's why most of my friends are entrepreneurs because we can relate. It doesn't matter the size of each other's businesses. We're just like the same problem, different stage, but the same problem, personnel, growth money, like keeping the lights on, like trajectory, like what's going to happen next. Like, you know, oftentimes our employees don't think like, Hey, we have to make the money to feed you. Like we're, we're taking care of your rent and your like, 24 like, seven. You to, there's no holiday. Like, there's, 24 no, yeah. seven. there's no, there's no, there's no stopping or being like me being like, I'm just going to chill while I have to worry about 30 mouths to feed at Tushy and like X number of mouths to feed at my other company. And this and my team at home, like my kid and my family, like my, my own life, like there's such a little understanding for the level of pressure that is required to like keep everyone. And then there's like, and then, and then when it, when you're getting like some people bitch at you about like what's not working in there as employee, like it's really hard sometimes to be like, use your tools to really understand like like if, if they understood like what it took, like, I want to hear everything you have to say, but let's approach it with, with giving each other grace first. Let's approach it from the lens of like, Hey, I'm a human being just like you. Even if I'm your boss in quotes, it doesn't mean I'm not going through human experiences just like you with a shit ton of pressure on my shoulders. And so like, I think to be able to express that, to have women's groups, to have places, to have a coach to talk with about these things. And the, challenges that, that we, we go through as leaders, as founders, as women, women of color. I never really looked at myself as like women of color founder until I've had to like really experience the double standards in a lot of different ways. I hate talking about it because I don't want to be a woe is me victim of any kind and I've never been that way. And what I've done is like, okay, I'm just going to be even better. And I'm going to, you know, like do all like even, you know, like I'm going to make enough money that I get to invest women own companies. And I don't, I don't have to complain about the way it is in society today. Instead, I'm going to make it, I'm going to just play ball in the, exactly the way, like meet people where they are today. No complaints about being a woman. Like I, that doesn't even work. Like I don't, for me, a friend, to me, and it's not like people are like, Oh, you're a woman. Like I, I, I for, for me, it just, I just never thought of, of, of harnessing that as a way to like get what I want. For me, it's like, let me do the best work, create the best company, make it happen. Even if I'm, I'm a woman of color, but it doesn't really like, it's not affecting me. Let me just build a company, make the money. And then when I have the money, I'm going to invest in women. So I've invested in over 30 companies and 95% of them have at least one female founder. So like, that's how I think about change. I'm not doing it by complaining. I'm doing it by taking action. By taking action. You know? Let's talk yeah. about expectation, um, Mickey. So I think what's interesting is we're building, right? We have full control of our own narrative, right? We're writing our story. 
but then you have some successes and sometimes that story can start to be written for you. And there are expectations. There are ways in which people think about us. They put us into certain boxes, whether they're real or perceived. You're on the cover of Entrepreneur. That that next day, even if you wanted to control it, it's probably incredibly difficult to control. And I'm wondering how it impacted expectations, not that you had of yourself, but of other people when you walk into a room, this preconceived notion of what they expect from you. It's I, I interviewed, I won't say the name. Um, this is a couple of years ago. Th- this gentleman had an incredible exit. You know, we're talking over a billion dollars in an exit. And you know what? He can't enjoy it. This guy terrified because everybody expected his next idea to be a billion dollar idea. And totally. it was, he just wanted to be himself. Yeah. And it just happened that that first idea, you know, took off, but that really you could even just yeah. see it would eat at him. You know, yeah. talk with me about that, that expectation that other people put on you when they could sit there and say, we're sitting with, you know, Mickey, who has been on the cover of, of entrepreneur and acknowledged by Inc and fast company and everybody else. Yeah. I mean, you know, all of it can create pressure and, you know, and I think there's something to be said about having humbling experiences that kind of remind you of your, you know, like your imperfection and also just like, you know, like, okay, it doesn't matter how people will take you up and take you down and people you're going to, it's, it's like, it doesn't matter how big of a thing that you create. It can be just, you know, like, it's just, it's, it's a world of like type of energy that, that sometimes like, it, it almost helps to just take yourself out of it and just remember, like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I creating? Like, what is it for if we're all going to die anyways? And like, what's the point of having all this pressure on myself and doing any of this at all if we're just literally all going to die anyways at some point? And so it's really like, it, it's really a re- constant remembering of like, why am I doing it? For me, it's creation. For me, it's the creative process. For me, it's like the, the, the disruption of like, of, and, and, and freedom of asking like who says and who decided that I can't be free in these areas. I can't say the word period. I can't talk about poop. I can't talk about being a woman in this, in this day and age in certain ways. I have to be a certain way in a certain, like I want to be free. And what does it look like for me to be free? Let me figure out the things that are holding me back from being free. And then let's take one step forward from there. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think, I think also spending having a community, like, I think like one of the questions people ask me all the time is like, how did you get through hard stuff? Like, what is it? Like, if you give me one piece of advice about being an entrepreneur, what would it be? I would always say, like, like create your friend group and create a deep group of friends, a community. People are like, oh, the word community is like, so like also overused, but like, basically it just means build a solid group of friends that you can basically like, you, you, that you, that you show up for, that you serve. Like I, like I was, I came home last night at like, I slept like three hours a night before and was so exhausted, but it was my friend's like 40th surprise birthday party yesterday. I flew in and I was so exhausted, but I'm like, I'm going to show up even if it's for 30 minutes. I could say I'm busy. I was in New York. We're shooting a thing. And I was this, this, that, that, that. But I'm like, no, I'm going to put on my, I'm going to call an Uber. I'm not going to drive because I'm too tired to drive. I'm going to take care of myself as much as I can in the process of showing up for my friend, but I'm going to show up for my friends. And, you know, and so it was like, and he was so grateful. Like, it's like, and it's, I'm not showing up because I want them to show up for me when times are bad. I'm showing up because it fills up my cup and it gives me more energy to be amongst the people I love. And so like, it's sort of like, how do you both navigate 
the hardships of job and what your job as in the work that you're doing and building towards while also cultivating a whole, like, like a whole life, you know, beyond that, that supports it all. Right. Like I get to go back. And one of the reasons, one of the things I talk about, which is like, how do you talk about your business? I always say, talk about your business. Like, like you're texting your best friends. Like my friends and I were constantly like talking about our ideas and like things that we're working on. And, and it fills me up and reminds me why I'm doing it. And I'm like, oh yeah. And then this, and then we came up with this idea and this is what happened. And, and it doesn't matter. Like you're so excited when we're, we come away filled up and not drained. And so I always say like find friends that like, that really like generate you and fill up your tank and not just like you sitting around loafing around, just doing nothing. Like you can also sit there and meditate and relax and watch a movie and whatever. But to me, it's like having generative friends in all the different ways is like what has served me and saved me so many different times, so many different times in my, in my life as an entrepreneur. Mickey, how has your relationship to success changed over time? Uh, my relationship to success. Yes. Um, it has totally changed. I think for me, like initially with obviously like freedom of like, of finance, like, like, like not having to worry about like, because I feel like I take care of so many people in my life. Like I take care of so many people and to know that I can is so, it feels so good. So first was like freedom of, of that. And that's what I thought was the definition of success. But then it became like freedom of time. Like I want to be able to do what I want when I want, like, you know, because that time is the most non-renewable resource we have. And I want to be able to just be free, like get to work and do sprints and work my ass off when I want to. And also just go to Burning Man for a week and just be okay with that too. And have a, you know, the best team ever working on, on it while I'm, while I'm away. But now actually it's, it's freedom. <laughs> it's just freedom. And I think it's freedom of all of the yucky feeling, freedom to feel everything, freedom to feel everything, freedom to express myself, freedom to be a mom and to be an entrepreneur and to be a friend and to be someone who loves to adventure and to, to, to be an inventor and a musician and a writer. Like I want to be free to do whatever the fuck I want as long as it's additive to me and to the people in my life. And that to me is like the definition of success is freedom. You know, I love, uh, as we, as we put a wrapper on this discussion, I just love that there's some people that are so packaged, I think, and polished, not in a good way. This is not a compliment to other people in that it's sort of like they were born that way. It's like, we all have potentially professors where you're like, did, were you born this way? Or did you actually have some journey that you developed this wisdom, right? Uh, this sort of perfection, your life in real time. And I love that because it's, you're not afraid to sort of share sort of how it's made, what, you know, that where, where it falters, like where you learned about yourself, how that I think is incredibly important. I think that's much more important than some step seven step business book that says, yeah. you know, Mickey, this is how you have to accomplish something because life is messy. Um, yeah. And it's about the attitude. And I think it's about sort of taking all those ingredients, you know, whether you've got immigrant parents, right from Japan and India, and you're living in, in Montreal, and then you're coming in the US. It's like, yeah, everyone will have a background. And I love that you pull from all of those ingredients, not to sort of use, you know, your, your original uh, business and, and restaurant 
as that analogy, but I think that's really key for entrepreneurs. Um, you've got so much going on. I want to make sure people can find you and and just sort of follow on your on your story and in your journey. Where is the best place for them to go? Well, first they should check out Tushy, which is my current company. Go to hellotushy.com. Don't go to tushy.com because it's a very graphic porn site. That's a different <laughs> uh, company. Yeah, very different value proposition. Um <laughs> But Elatushi, yeah, basically, you know, really from developing the hyperthyroid condition from working too hard, you know, pooping a lot was one of the byproducts of the hyperthyroid condition, which then led me to start Tushy, the bidet company, which totally like cleaned, cleaned me and saved me and has changed my life. Actually, I use it every day to this day. Like I'm going to Burning Man, I'm packing my travel Tushy with me because I cannot leave home without it. And we have over a million and a half customers who literally like think about life as like life before Tushy and life after Tushy. And so, um, you know, like just washing instead of wiping and, you know, the number of trees you save and all of that, it's just, it's an, it's a quite an obvious thing. So I would, I would deeply love for everyone to check out Hello Tushy. We just launched our new website, which I'm super, super proud of. We spent almost a year working on it. Um, and, and the product is the best in the world, truly. And I'm super proud of that. Um, and then if you want to ask me questions or, you know, follow my stuff, I'm pretty much on Instagram. Um, like I, I, you know, do a little bit elsewhere as well. Like, but, but, but pretty much on Instagram. So at Mickey Avalon on Instagram is where most people can find me. Well, I encourage people to check out Mickey and hellotushy.com. Uh, also with her new debut album, it all exists. You can check that out on Spotify and wherever you get your, your music uh, on planet earth. But what a treat to spend time with Mickey Ag Rawal. Uh, you are, you are really you are an authentic entrepreneur and we need more stories of the Mickey's out there. I think it's really key for this next generation. Continued success, stay healthy and uh, keep making a difference and disrupting this world. Thanks, Mickey. Thank you so much. Bye. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom.